the Gospel of Mark in chapter 7. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to take them out and turn with me there. Our text we found in Mark 7, 9 through 23. If you don't have a Bible, make sure that you um, grab one from downstairs. I think there's some up in the front. The words will be up in front of you on the screen as well. It is, it is a delight, and I am glad that you are here this morning to worship together. I, I love that song we just sang, Lord, I Need You. It was, it was um, a common thing to overhear um, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. As he was walking into the pulpit, he would be whispering over and over and over again, there is a Holy Spirit, there is a Holy Spirit, there is a Holy Spirit. And praise God for that, that we um, receive help when we desperately need him. Um, I was reminded this week of my job. It's really, it's a weird job. My, My job is to read the text, explain the text, and apply the text, and then just sit back down again. So that's, that's my very simple goal this morning, that um, the focus would be on the text and what the Holy Spirit has to say to each one of you um, this morning. Let, let, me, let me just, before we pray, let me just very briefly um, express my gratitude. I, I have heard this past week a number of testimonies of people uh, within our body um, who are just expressing gratitude for others that have cared for them or ministered to them in some way. Maybe something simple, just someone needs something. Can I borrow this? Sure, I can, I can loan this to you. Or others who are going through significant problems or needs. And many people have just stepped up. And that is, that is the body caring for the body and loving on one another. As a pastor, I hear testimonies of that, stories of that, and I just want to commend you um, and thank you for that. That that doesn't happen. A lot of people kind of motor through this world all alone, and they don't have one another. Uh, may you understand the importance that that we go through life together, and by sharing and encouraging and loving and praying for one another. What an absolute delight. Let me just say thank you for all of those who are poured into the lives of others. Let's bow our heads. We need to go to the Lord and just ask for his guidance, his strength, his wisdom, um, and ultimately that his will would be accomplished as we look into his word uh, this morning. Uh, Let's pray together. Father, as we come into your presence, our, our heads are bowed as a sign of our submission to you, our reverence, a sign of our respect to you and recognizing who you are and all of your might and all of your authority. You, you speak the world into existence. You raise the dead to life. Um, and you see us now and you know what is in our hearts. You know it's just racing through our minds. And God, I would ask right now that in a very unique way, the Holy Spirit, the helper, the comforter, the convictor would descend upon this place and upon hearts. Father, may we understand the importance of just surrendering to you in every way. We are are grateful for the love that you have shown us and the mercy and the grace that you've lavishly poured out, your unconditional love. Uh, Lord, we're, we're just delighted and thrilled. Uh, Father, I just pray right now, especially for individuals that are here, that are hearing this message, that are in a moment of of heartache or hurt, or they're confused or they're scared or frustrated. God, just just minister to them in a special way, in a unique way. And may we, we in a few moments, as we prepare our minds even now uh, and our hearts to celebrate the communion table, may we, Lord understand the significance of that act and the beauty and the blessing that is connected to it. Father, may we leave your house here this morning on your day, gather with your people, knowing that we've heard a word from you and and changed and transformed as a result of the good news of the gospel of Jesus. God, that is our prayer. We leave that in your hands. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. Okay, very quickly, here we go. The Gospel of Mark, we talk about the fact that focus is really fast-paced on the ministry and the mission 
of Jesus, who he is. He is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And we know that his message is absolute truth. Very, very different from the message of the religious leaders and the Pharisees of the day. Jesus' message is what? It's, it's spoken in Mark chapter 2, repent and be forgiven of your sins. Um, that's it, which means regardless of what has happened from this moment, um, 1058 on this particular day, regardless of this moment, everything that has taken place before, at this moment, you can repent and be forgiven from your sins and follow Christ as Lord, recognizing that he alone is a savior. A different message. What is that? It is just grace upon grace upon grace. Whereas the message of the religious leaders of the day was what? You have to obey rules and you have to listen to laws and you have to what? Live in a sense of legalism where, where Jesus' message was grace upon grace. The Pharisees' message was just guilt upon guilt upon guilt. I'm never going to measure up. I can't obey every rule that's out there. And there's just a sense of defeatedness. Uh, we talked last week what we, we concluded in verse 8. And, and Jesus kind of summarized um, the condition of the Pharisees a summary statement when the Pharisees were all upset because Jesus' disciples were not washing their hands before they ate. Okay, they're not listening to all the laws and the rules of the land. And, and Jesus says this in verse 8, you leave the commandment of God and you hold to the tradition of men. What's interesting is that you'll see almost the exact same rendering of the exact same thought two times in our text today in verse 9 and then in verse 13 Jesus says this you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition in verse 13 what you you're making void the word of God by your tradition Jesus is saying exactly the same thing you leave the commandments you reject the commandments you make void the commandments of God whenever you see what basic rule in, in interpreting scripture. You see the same idea repeated three times in a couple verses. Pay attention to it. That's, that's the lesson for us. Which brings us to this point this morning, really, do, do, do you live according to the word of God or the word of man? Like, who's your final authority? Who establishes and sets the, the direction that you're going to go? Who, who are you going to obey, God or man? Who are you going to listen to? Is it, is it tradition of what you've been taught forever and ever and ever? Or is it the truth of Scripture? Everything is to be measured through the truth of Scripture. Why? Tradition is all over the place. Remember the great musical fiddler on the roof? Remember, remember Papa? Remember Tevye singing tradition, tradition? Remember that? No one remembers fiddler on the roof. Thank you. 1971. It was a great, it, it was written earlier, but there was this great movie, Tradition, Tradition. And he goes on, he goes, we have rules for, for eating. We have rules for cleaning. We have rules for work. And we have rules for everything. We have traditions for everything. The problem with traditions is that they're up and they're down. They change constantly. Today, we settle not on tradition, Tradition, but, but truth. Here it is. We pick it up in verse 9, Mark chapter 7, verse 9. Jesus speaking, and he said to them, you have a, a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is korban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition." That you have handed down. And many such things you do. Many such things you do. And he called the people to him again and, and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that is going, that is going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. 
And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable, and he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do, do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Oh, gross. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For, for, for from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within. And they defile a person. Here it is. Number one, I want you to, to note this. Tradition can change. Number one, tradition can change. Jesus is going to give to us an example of why we cannot count on tradition to bring us righteousness. And what Jesus does here, he cites a very, very specific example about the contradiction that comes that stems from the doctrines of man versus the doctrine of God. This is what Jesus says. He says, you have a fine way of rejecting. The word is athenteo. You have a fine way of, of setting aside, ignoring, not relying on the commandments of God in order to establish your tradition. And so he goes right to the heart of what is most valuable to them and, and admonishes them with the subject of mom and dad, mother and father, family. He says this, and he quotes Moses from Exodus chapter 20, one of the, the Ten Commandments. Moses said, honor your father and your mother. Then he quotes Moses again from Exodus chapter 21 and verse 17. Whoever reviles or strikes his father and mother must be put to death. Now, no one is going to argue with the commandment that what it says, what are we supposed to do with mother and father? We're to honor them. It means to hold them in high regard. Whoever it is, doesn't necessarily mean that you have to agree with mother and father. This is not talking Ephesians 6, children obey. We're not talking that. There's no one that's going to, to argue the fact that we have to see our mother and father because they are our mother and father. In, in high regard. And what it means basically in this context is to provide for them or care for them specifically when it comes to financially, particularly in their old age. Or you're providing for them personally. Oftentimes in, in our particular family, it's, it's the oldest sibling. So when my mom and dad got older and, and retirement age, my, my oldest sister and her husband built onto their house and, and mom and dad, they, they take care of mom and dad. That's their responsibility to honor. In, in our family, uh, Wendy is the oldest. And so at some time, there's no doubt when grandma and grandpa are in need, we're gonna have to what? Take care of them. That's our responsibility to honor them. I've already told uh, Ben and Sarah, they're, they're, she's the youngest. They don't have to worry about mom and dad. Seth is going to be taking care of mom and dad. Just a frightening thought right there. <laughs> he said he has a wonderful nursing home picked out for us in northern Iraq. <laughs> so, so no one argues, let's take care. Let's love, let's provide for. However, there is a tradition that the Jewish people allowed that in a sense has, has funds that were originally dedicated to care for mom and dad in their old age because they're in need. That they can what? They can redesignate them and they refer to it as what? The word is, is korban. It's, it's just a transliteration of a Hebrew Aramaic word. There's really no English word for it. The word korban means dedicated to God, which means what? A monies that were originally set up to be taken care of for mom and dad. You honor them. You put this, this stamp of it, korban. You can't do anything else other than give it to the church or particularly to the wealthy church leaders of the day. So people are benefiting from what? From money that's supposed to go to mom and dad and mom and dad are left out on the sidewalk. There's a problem here. 
What, what Jesus says, he summarizes the base problem is what? You, you are making void in verse 13. The word of God by your tradition. Whether or not it's ignoring the word of God, making void the word of God, people do exactly the same thing all the time. They're trying to change the basic foundation of the word of God, and you cannot do it. God's word is very clear. You don't add to it. You don't take away. It says what you honor your father and your mother, period. We don't argue with that. See, what happens is that when traditions come, everything begins to float and move. The words, the wisdom, the ways of man constantly change, constantly are inconsistent. I almost think of traditions really not that far from from fashions. Think about fashion trends and how they have changed over the year. Traditions change over the year. You younger people will not remember, but some of, some of you old folks might remember in, in, the, in the early 70s, the men wore ties, and they wore these like, like six-inch wide ties. Okay, they were bright plaids and bright stripes, okay? And everything was just really, just really ugly in the 70s, in all honesty. Okay, and then what happened in the 80s is that a men's tie became very narrow. Remember, it was the, the little narrow, it was like the black or navy blue knit tie. It was like cut square at the bottom. You had one of those, you were like, seriously, cool. And then what happens is that later on in the 90s and into the 2000s, you have, for, for a man, they would wear a power tie, a tight print and a bright color that when you walk in the room, automatically... That power tie got you the job in your interview. You just wear the power tie. And then they became, I remember this, ties became like billboards for, for like advertising um, uh, people's hobbies and interests. Like if, if you like fishing, you got fish on here and people casting lines and, and if they're hunting, you got animals, you got whole scenes on your tie here. I remember I like baseball. Somebody was giving me all the baseball ties and it was like, pictures all over the place but then what happens is we evolve and change today we have what you want to wear a wide tie wear a wide tie you want to wear a narrow tie wear a narrow tie you, you don't you want to wear a bow tie wear a bow tie no t- because what whatever you want it's your identity so we can't say well because remember, remember the whole hair thing years ago, and it, it was if a, if a guy had short hair, okay, then he was sharp, and he was clean, and you could trust him. But if some if somebody had long kind of scraggly hair, whoa, whoa, he's got to be rebellious. His his mother didn't love him or something. So you had to have short hair, but you couldn't have your hair too short because if it was shaved too short, then you become a skinhead and you're associated with racism and there's hatred. And so it's like, like, what do we do? Just shave it off. That's what you do. And, and years ago, the Tom Magnum days, I remember, and, and he, he got out of the Ferrari in his shorts. The guys were really, really short shorts. And the girls wear long dresses, and then the shorts got really long over years, and the dresses got really short. And now we have guys wearing dresses today, and the whole world, like, just, like, what's going on? What's happening here? Tattoos and piercings were a sign of rebellion, and now it's, it's, it's art. It's an expression of one's self. What happens with all of this? We constantly are looking on the outside. And, and, and I recall reading that when um, God was looking for the next king over Israel, God, God spoke to Samuel, who was to anoint, okay? And, and Jesse brought out all the guys, okay, all the sons. They had like power ties on and short hair. And every one of them, you would have thought they're the one. And, and God told Samuel, no, no. Man, man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the inside. God, God is concerned. He's not as concerned about what, what is on. God is concerned about one's heart. 
What I have found is this. When it comes to the subject of tradition versus truth, we, we lean towards tradition and, and we can very easily major on the minors. And yet we worship a God who majors on majors. You want to think outward appearance is pretty simple. There, there is instruction. I'm not, I'm not saying we just let it all go. There, there is very clear instruction. It says what? In 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 3, we are not to be excessive. We're not to be overly indulgent. We're not to, to dress in a way that, that attracts attention to ourselves. We don't need to do that. We reflect God's image. We live for his glory, not our own. It's, it's pretty simple. It says in, 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 in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 9, specifically to, to women, be modest. That's what you're to be if you're to dress. Be modest. It says that. It says in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 32 and Romans chapter 14 and verse 13, you're supposed to appear, if you want to really think about the outside, don't ever do anything or cause anyone to stumble. So that's, that's the thought that we are supposed to give. Why? Because we are to reflect the image of God. You're created in his image. It's not about drawing attention to yourself. How much time, money, effort, focus is on what? Look at this. Look at this. Look at me. No. See, see Christ. You don't see me. See the cross. That's, that's where we need to focus. The word of God, what? This is not about what we look like on the inside. This is about living every moment, every day, every breath, every beat of our hearts, what? Reflecting the image of God. Don't add to that. Don't take from that. That is the word of God. You will never become more spiritual by focusing, by focusing or emphasizing the outside. Secondly, what we know that traditions constantly change. Number two, truth does not change. You can go to the bank with this. Jesus teaches this lesson that a person's heart deep within us is that which makes one unclean, not your environment. Last week, we looked at the fact that what the, the Jewish leaders, they understood the idea of, of, of being dirty and being clean. They were really concerned about, remember, the hand washing. So they got the idea of impurity and purity, unholiness and holiness. But what the Jews had done is that they had added, there, there was some basic instruction. They added, literally, just unbelievable details and and an emphasis on the external of ceremonies and rituals and what you had to do in order to be clean in order to appear religious what would cause them to have a major error in their thinking is that they had a superficial view of sin almost the fact that if you live a certain way you you you, you dot all the i's you cross all the t's you look the part you wash your hands properly, that you can almost reg, re, regulate yourself from sin. Or in a sense, you can be above sin or apart from sin. They actually believed that, that dirt and defilement was something that existed outside of them as opposed to inside. We see this in the prayer of the Pharisee in Luke chapter 18. Imagine this. Imagine a religious leader standing on a corner, praying out loud, hands drawing all the attention to himself with his ornate religious regalian garb on. Imagine him praying out loud, I thank you, God, that I am not like the other man. Even like that wicked tax collector. And then he goes on and he lists, I tithe, I, I fast, I do all of the right ceremonies and all of the right rituals. They actually believed and they lived under this false illusion. How dangerous is it for you for a moment, even in a fleeting second, to think that you are spiritually better than someone else next to you? That you have a little bit of a leg up than your neighbor? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I memorized this book since Sunday school. 
I, I won the Sunday School Scripture Memory Award. Yeah, I, I, I got baptized in the Borges Pool. I remember there were people there. I saw pictures of it. And we have this idea that maybe we're just a little bit, that's exactly what, that's exactly what the religious leaders, they live in this, this, this rigid system. And Jesus enters and he blows their whole thinking, their whole idea, he blows it out of the water. He wants to be extremely clear. Listen to this. I, I love the, the wording in verse 15. It's like he's in a second grade class. He repeats, hear me, all of you, and understand. Okay, Jesus wants to get the point across. I want you to hear me on this, okay? Everyone look up. You know when in second grade or maybe like sophomore class in college? I don't know. Look up. Hear me. I want you to get this. I want you to understand this. And he says this. There is nothing outside a person that can defile, but the things that come out of a person are what? defile him. Jesus is making it as clear as possible. Sin is not the result of our environment. Yeah, well, it's really what that person did to me that causes me to have this sickness and this addiction. No, 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 that's not what we see in scripture. Truth, what? Does not change. The evil exists in our own heart. I heard the testimony just this week of a child, a child, a young person was admitting and confessing, you know, I, I know that in my heart there's a lot of gunk, I think was the official word that was used. In here, there's a lot of gunk. In here, it's, it's pretty dark. It's pretty black. It's pretty dirty. Jesus adds to this in verses 18 and 20 and he says it's not about what type of food. There was all kinds, just like there were hand-washing rules and laws. Okay, there were unbelievable number of rules about food, what you could eat, what you could not eat. If you ate this, you had to wash this a certain way. Just constant, more rules. And Jesus said it's not, it's not, it's not what more rules and regulations about your diet. In fact, Jesus gets very specific here. And forgive me, I am not a bodily function guy, but he actually says what goes in your, your body goes in your stomach and it comes out again. Ew. He's talking about what? This, this is not, this is not about the outside. He says what the problem of a dirty heart is much bigger than that which you can scrub off. A four-year-old boy can figure out you got mud on you. You got to go stand. My dad would say, go to the rain locker. Go stand in the rain locker. Go get a shower. You got dirt on you. You smell. Get in the tub. Soak. Scrub your face. Do whatever. And you can take care of that. It's not so easy when it comes to your heart. Why? Jesus goes into detail here. And he says, what? Out of, out of the heart of man. And look at this list. Look at this list. Out of the heart of man, evil thoughts come. Evil, evil thoughts. Someone succeeds. Someone gets the scholarship that you were hoping to get. Someone gets the promotion that you thought you were going to get. Evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality. There, there, is, there is no limit. You begin to open the door to deviant and sexual sins. Okay, in, in the quietness of the closet, no one knows, no one sees. No, 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 you begin to open that door and what? There is evil, sexual immorality. There's theft, there's murder, there's adultery, there's coveting, there's pride. There's a whole long list here that we are capable of, which means we are desperately dirty and in trouble apart from the truth. And Jesus proclaims a single, simple message all the way from Mark chapter 2 and verse 15. What? Repent and believe in the gospel. That's what Jesus begins with this message. Repent, turn from your sin, and believe in the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Regardless of what you have done. Regardless of, of what is on you, what is attached to you. Today... You repent and believe in the gospel, which means what? All are sinful, but the good news is all can be forgiven. The good news is all can be cleansed. 
But you, you, begin with that, you begin with that one message, like you're all sinners. I'm a sinner. Our heart is desperately wicked, Isaiah says. Um, that's, not a, like, that's not a well-received message today. Uh, some of you have been on, um, if you've been on Lock Haven University's campus just recently, they've, they've, they've done a lot of work, particularly over the summer. They raised a, a couple buildings, and they all added green space and the commons, and it's beautiful. What was interesting is that as they were raising one of the buildings this summer, Sullivan Hall, they, they, they discovered one of the cornerstones um, had encased in cement a copper box. It was a, it was a time capsule that they had placed. It was, it was in this copper box, and they realized this is something really... And they called everyone together. This was back in June of, of this summer, June 22nd, and they called the president of the university and, and former president. They had the press there, and the newspaper was there, and everyone's there, and they had these tin snips, and they cut into this copper box. Wow, I wonder what happened. I wonder what it is. Very interesting. I read just this week about what they discovered in the box. They took out first a black and white picture of, of Philip Price. The Philip Price. I know, I never heard of him either. <laughs> but he was important enough to make it into the copper box and, and get encased in the cornerstone of Sullivan Hall. Nobody really remembers this prominent figure. It says as well they took out a program um, from that very date, October the 22nd, 1938, when the, the cornerstone was placed. And then the third thing they took out of the box is very interesting. The third thing they took out of that box was a copy of the Holy Bible. And, and I read this week in, in Lock Haven Express, it's, it says this, and I, and I quote, the Bible was, n- notice past tense, listen, the Bible was in essential parts of American public education, and it may have been used in weekly chapel services. I'm thinking, wait a minute, Really? Like, like they had chapel services, and yet they also think it was because people have said, well, there's truth in that Bible that is really upsetting to people. They, they took out other things. They took out a, a copy of the football schedule for that year. They took out a, a copy of the number of students enrolled, and, and they had a copy of the Lock Haven Express. And all of these things talked about the fact that there were traditions that they used to do and that they don't do any longer. And what's interesting is that the one thing in there, that Bible, has remained unchanged. I, I haven't seen that actual Bible. I'd love to see that. If one of you students can arrange that for me, I'd appreciate that. I'd love to see that Bible. But I know if you opened up to the very first book of that Bible, in the very first chapter, I know that you would read these words. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. Do you know what that means, that word image you were created? It means a representative likeness which tells us that we should live in such a way that we are reflecting at our creaturely level what what Genesis 1 shows that God is and and what God does. What, What has changed is the fact that what? People think that the word of God was something that was important. What they don't realize is that truth is truth. It doesn't change. The word of God is important. That today, just like 1938, we are still created in the image of God. And that we are to reflect his image and live for his glory. The number one way we do that is to recognize that what? We have a dirty heart. We recognize the fact that we are sinners. And that we are in desperate need for a savior. The word of God, the word of God does not change. It is completely consistent in a world that what? Ties were wide and ties were narrow and ties disappeared. God's word is set. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 35, it says, what, 
Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Take a look around. The building that used to be on campus, it's no longer, it, it all, it, everything, this building, our bodies, everything on heaven and earth, heaven and earth themselves will pass away. But my words will not. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 8, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will remain forever. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 25, but the word of the Lord remains forever, and this word is good news. Psalm chapter 119 and verse 89, forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed. There's something about it that says it's here to stay. We see the exact same idea repeated in Deuteronomy chapter 4, Proverbs chapter 30, and and Revelation chapter 22, which is almost the very last verse of the entire Bible. And, And what the apostle John says, what? You shall not add to this word, and you shall not take away from this word. That we don't have the authority to do that. This is set. This is established. It's not going anywhere that we live our lives according to this truth as opposed to the traditions of mankind. So whether or not it's one year, 10 years, 20 years, or 78 years, okay? Okay, understand, the word of God should not be considered what it was in an essential part. It is an essential part. So what do we, what do, we do with this very, very quickly? We read the text, explain the text, apply the text. Here it is. Here it is. What do we do on application? A, know the truth of the gospel is unchanging and it is always consistent. Know that. Be reminded of that. Dads, speak and teach your children that. That they what? That they can go to the bank with this. Know this. Secondly, learn to guard our hearts from the sinful wickedness that is inside us. I said it was Isaiah early. It's actually Jeremiah in in chapter 17 and verse 9 where it says our heart is deceitfully and desperately wicked. This is a great little thing I've got. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23 says what? Out of our heart flows wickedness. Did my ear just move or what? Like how does that happen? Thirdly and finally, pray. Pray that God makes our hearts clean through his work and not our work. There's nothing that you can do. You You can't scrub yourself clean enough. You can't listen to enough laws and rules out there. Okay, what, what you need to do is pray that, that God, he is the one who does, that he does his work. And we don't, we don't, we don't rest in our works. I'm so grateful that we have the, the communion table to finish our, our, our lesson this morning, our text this morning, our truth this morning, that it is through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross that we are made clean, that we are cleansed, that we can be forgiven from our sins. As we, as we prepare for a communion, I want you to just listen. You don't have to turn there. Just, just listen for a few moments, just in quietness to the prophet Isaiah as, as he describes this one who, who washes us, this one who, who cleans us, this one who died for us, this one who forgives us. Isaiah says this, for he, he grew up before him like a plant and like a root out of dry grounds. He had, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows Yet we esteemed him, stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, for our sins. And he was crushed for our iniquities. 
upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And perhaps the most beautiful words of this whole text. And with his words, we are healed. And with his words, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. As we, as we pause on what Jesus Christ did for us, he was stricken for our sinfulness, a love that is beyond understanding, grace upon grace upon grace. Jesus sat with his disciples just hours before his body was broken, his blood was poured out, and he gave to them a visual object lesson that I, I stand and, and I give to you this morning because we are instructed. We do this regularly until the Lord comes again. We, we don't forget this. That's why we're here. This is why we do church. Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is a picture of my body. When you, when you break something like that, we could try. We can't put it back together. What's interesting is that when Jesus allowed his own body to be broken, that it was through that that he begins to put our lives together. It, it says as well that Jesus took the fruit of the vine. And he poured it out and he, he said, this is a picture of of my blood that is poured out for you. It's just a picture of it. Within hours of, of this time, Jesus was, was already being whipped and beaten. Already he began to just, just have blood pouring out of him, ultimately, till he, he gets to the cross. And, and he was pierced for our transgression. Isaiah, we just read those words. Isaiah wrote those words 600 years by his stripes. How did Isaiah know that he would have stripes from being whipped and beat? How did Isaiah know that he would be pierced with nails and a spear? The Holy Spirit, what? It's the truth that does not change. And we have that. For every single person that's here, this is a reminder of what Jesus has made available for you recognize first and foremost and, and we don't have to dig too deep a little child can say there's a lot of gunk in there and, and, and we have to first recognize that we are sinners and there's a price to be paid and, and we can't pay that price and yet Jesus a sinless perfect sacrifice paid the price for us by offering his own life that we understand that by recognizing that we are sinners in need of a Savior, that if we desire to follow him as Lord, please, I welcome you to participate and, and to take this, to partake of it. But if you have not made that decision, I would ask that you don't do it just because the person sitting next to you. We're not concerned about the outside. We're concerned about the heart. But yet today is the day of salvation, that if you understand that you're in need of a Savior and that you desire to follow the Lord as Lord, which means he's calling the shots, not you, that you repent and turn from all the, the grossness and the wickedness, then this is for you. And I, I want you to celebrate what Christ has done and never forget what Christ has done. The elders are going to come at this time and they're going to serve this to you and just so that you know we're, we're going to serve the the bread first and then we'll ask god's blessing on both the the bread and the cup and then we'll serve you the cup and then matt's going to come and close us um, with a wonderful worshipful reminder of who christ is gentlemen come
Pastor Josh is going to ask God's blessing on the bread and also on the cup. Father, we come before you this morning thankful for the opportunity to freely stop and place our minds on what you did for us. Just reviewing that scripture in Isaiah, remembering what you went through, how that you absorbed all of God's wrath in your body for us. And that we now stand before you clean, Amen. stand before you with, with new purpose and with new life. We thank you for that. Pray that you would help us to remember uh, the, the bread. Amen. And thank you for it. And just remember that it was your body broken so that we could have our relationship restored with you. And remember the juice that was your represents your blood spelled to cover our sin. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. It says that the Lord Jesus, on the very night in which he was betrayed, it says that he took bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. It says, in the same way also, he took the cup 
after supper, saying, This cup, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. That's going to come, and as he comes, I would encourage you just to, what a wonderful song in closing, uh, just bathe in.